0: You're listening to The Plastic Podcasts, tales of the Irish diaspora, we all come from somewhere else. This is The Plastic Podcasts minicast, the second part of my interview with Craig Jordan-Baker. Craig's book, The Nicolians, centres on three generations of a diaspora family where the grandfather is a brickie, not unlike his own. Now, on a personal note, my own father felt depressed by being surrounded by red brick buildings in his first year over from rural County Clare. So does Craig think that our characters get shaped by where we live? Now, please remember, this podcast does contain adult language.
1: One thing I'd like to know more about, I'd like to know more about a lot of things, but one thing I'd like to know a lot more about is actually architecture. And I've started to read, you know, I I read, I've read a little bit about architecture and certainly about brick bonds. And now I go around and I can identify different brick bonds on houses. Um but often you know if you go to a certain place you like i don't know luton for example you feel it's just so depressing but there's a malaise in that you can't put your finger on on why it is depressing like I was once um, travelling, sort of, through the um, when I was a kid. We were, we were going from we were going to Mayo for a holiday, and um, and I, I was was going through the kind of Midland, kind of sort of counties of Offaly and you know uh, sort of places like that. And I was thinking, God, this is this is depressing. And but you couldn't quite sum up why it was. And I think um, sometimes you go into an estate and you can't quite sum up w- what's depressing about it. And I think. So I think that's a problem because, um, well, one, I want to explain everything <laughs> and I can't. Um, so I, it's personally frustrating. Um, but also it's, um, w- without that vocabulary, you can't necessarily describe what's awful about your context. And I think, um, for a lot of people actually going back to the book for a lot of people in the book, they don't always have the vocabulary to really understand and describe their own context. And so they're kind of bound by it and trapped by it. Um, you know, we talk about glass ceilings and you hear this kind of thing about social mobility and the glass ceiling, you know, you try and rise and, and then suddenly you're stopped. But I think very often people don't talk about the fact that, um, that some people don't look up even, you know, upward at all. You know, it's not even a thought that enters your head to rise up and then hit the glass ceiling. You're looking down at the concrete, you know, you're looking, you know, you're leaning against the wall and looking, you know, across an, uh, you know, a level plane. So yes, is the answer. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, 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 I really, I am, uh, I, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that the spaces that we reside in shape us in, in the very, in very daily ways, but also in ways which we don't necessarily know about or aren't really conscious of. Um, you know, I guess it's called today psychogeography, right? You know, there's that old thing about um, the Liffey, and you know, if you're from the north side of the Liffey, you're down at heel and you're uh, and you, you're, you're kind of rough around the edges, and if you're from you know, South Dublin, then you're you know much more genteel and educated. And even those ways of organising space can change how we experience our lives and who we th- how we think of ourselves and others
0: well there's a, there, there are sometimes practical reasons for that i mean um a west end and east end of a, of a city are often defined by the fact that the factories would have been in the west of the city and the wind would have blown eastwards which means that would be an like the area which is much more depressed because, simply because it's more covered in smoke
1: yeah uh, but then but then this idea still exists in a post-industrial society you know it, 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 cont- it continues on the stereotype you know it, it continues on and um but that's bricks
0: again, isn't it? That's like what well, yeah, so how that leads onto another, onto another, onto another.
1: Yeah, and um yeah, so um yeah, so so bricks are really important to um to the novel and so is and so is the idea of building. And um I think something was really Something that's quite powerful for the character of um, of Nandad Nakulian was uh, is that when he comes across he's a brickie he comes across and he starts working on these English building sites and he is um, racially abused he gets you know he gets lots of um, uh, lots of you know paddy jokes and and you know you know uh, fuck off back to your own country kind of um, statements and um, and then the wind rush happens and, um, and, and the book says, and that stops. And then suddenly, you know, this Irish guy becomes like Winston Churchill or Queen Victoria. He's, you know, as English as his English workmates. And, um, that comes from a family story that I was told by my uncle, which was exactly that for my grandfather of being, having absolute, a terror of the time on the building sites um, in the you know in the kind of late forties and then and then along comes the windrush and suddenly you know um, the the ire and the anger is being directed at the um at, at the uh, at the Caribbean guys.
0: When you look at the 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 the, the family of the Nakulians, do you like them?
1: I acknowledge them. I understand where they are coming from and i understand some of the reasons that they are like they are even you know there's there's sometimes we sometimes it's we need to recognize the positioning of of individuals even if we find them really unpleasant um uh even racist misogynistic individuals i think we do ourselves a disservice if we don't um, give them the credit of trying to understand them and trying to understand where they're coming from. And I think, um, you know, talking about Brexit, I think there is there is an element of, you know, in people's surprise at Brexit. And I, I'll admit I was very surprised. And then after a little reflection, I, I became less surprised. And I, and I can understand that there's, in white working class communities, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of feeling left behind, um, a lot of um, feeling bewildered. Um, I think, and I, and I, I think that's, I I think a lot of liberal lefties don't want to acknowledge those people because those people make them feel rather uncomfortable. Um, because they, they are, they are sometimes, you know, blithely, um, you know, uh, um, racist, misogynist, homophobic, um, kind of, you know, um, you know, ignorant. And there's, and I've, I experienced a lot of that when I was growing up, um, and I, and I recognize it and it's something that um obviously I don't celebrate but something that I that I in the book as well acknowledge I think so yes I I don't think I like any of the Niculeans as such I think I acknowledge all of them and um and, and in that there's a, an attempt to kind of understand and you know explore them is this a life you're trying to escape from what the, the one I have now
0: the, one, the the one in the Niculeans?
1: Um, yes, there is a sense in which I think for, so being, you know, working class kid, um, you know, didn't really have any expectations of university. I went to university initially to escape my mother. I mean, that was my main, main kind of reason. And maybe I could carry on being a poetic bum at uni. Um, that was my, my my main reason. And also to yeah, to escape. And, um, there are characters in the novel, um, that, uh, that maybe escape but they escape in different ways um you know there's one perhaps uh, shining light in the nakulian family who that's betty nakulian and she's rather um she seems rather talented and she's she's a, a writerly figure and she's rather smart but she's viewed um with uh, I, I think i put it that mixture of um that mixture that's half or she's called something of a writer by a mother, which is a mixture, which is half criticism and half admiration. And I, th- <laughs> and I think a family um, sometimes parents can be really rather good um, at kind of mixing admiration with criticism when their child is doing something they don't quite get, but um, and they're a little bit suspicious of. So yes, there. Um, it is about. I think it is about uh, escape, or about. For the vast majority of people, there is no. Escape. I mean, we tell stories about people that break the glass ceiling. We tell stories about social mobility to salve ourselves um, into believing that um, you can, if you work hard enough and believe hard enough and follow your dreams, insert sentimental um, um, bilge pipe deluge, um, that you, you can make it. Or, but, but, or or just this horrible tory narrative which is if you work hard enough um you know if you just take your breaks you will inevitably make it and if anyone doesn't um then then you're a, you're you're a shithouse that deserves to be where you are and 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 i really i i i despise that that mentality and i think um also my characters or the characters that i like that i feel I, I can the only characters i feel i can write about are characters that are more or less bound by the by, by context that they didn't choose um and are uh, and they aren't these you know dramatic individuals like james bonds that go around and 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 change their own context they are bound by their context and they might and and their ability to uh, change it and and uh, uh, you know is minimal and I think uh, at the very end of the book um, I think the the Irish Times uh, review of it said um, the book ends in a whimper and I don't know if that was Sarah Gilmartin was being complimentary or not but, I, but when I read that I, I thought yes the book does end in a whimper and I think because I couldn't see a way of writing um, in a way that honoured the logic of the book that it didn't end in a whimper, that it didn't end in the same day being much like the last one.
0: You're listening to The Plastic Podcasts, tales of the Irish diaspora. We all come from somewhere else. Find out more about us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. In the last part of our talk with Craig Jordan-Baker, we discussed the parallels between his life and those of his characters in The Nicolians. We also get to talk about an unusual hobby of his. Something that that, that came to me in, in, in whilst was whilst, whilst you were talking was this notion of exile. To a certain extent, your grandfather chose to be an exile or was forced to be an exile because of because of holes being being put in his genitalia. Um yeah. your, your you, you you yourself have chosen a form of so I get escape as well, both from you know, so I, could, I suppose your societal expectations and also from. From, from, from the family and things like that, when you decide to go off to university and things like that. I mean, so you've chosen escape and then here are people who can't be exiled, who, 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 for whom escape and exile isn't a possibility. Is it better to be an exile than a prisoner?
1: Um, that is a very, very good question. I think um, it is better to be an exile, but, uh, but you have to accept that there's a constant, there's, there, there, not a constant sense, but there's often a sense of discomfort and i think this is also something um, in listening to actually some of your other podcasts i think a theme that comes up for a lot of people you know that have an irish background you know um and maybe feel out of place in some regard or other is that there's a sense of discomfort a sense of not quite belonging to any place or any one thing and uh, and i think that can be a source of uh tension um constant psychic tension but it also i think it's i think it's useful in that you're always questioning and you're never taking your context for granted your context isn't just isn't just um this sort of dead weight i think you're more likely to ask questions of it um and i think that's um that's um very helpful for a writer at the very least um and i think it it does does come with dividends It, it comes with an with maybe a uh more of a tendency to be able to think about someone else's position and where they're where they're coming from and why they might be there um so in being an outsider you can maybe the old i think it is something of a cliche but in being an outsider to some extent you can look in more clearly
0: does that mean that home is somewhere you're going to rather than where you
1: are i think home is multiple um things um as i've as i've said before and i think Part of my home uh, absolutely my home is um Brighton. I feel very very attached to to Brighton and to Brighton culture and to brighton's mentality um uh and culturally you know I feel very home here i've also got in some in some sense um you know uh, i look you know i you, know, you still kind of look to um Ireland as, a, as an interesting place and not necessarily a home, but certainly a certain sense where you draw things from. Um, and then there's that emotional aspect where I think for me, home is other people home is being around the people I love. I mean, my partner Is my home. My um, my sister is my home. Um, And whether and whether I was in, you know, uh, Letterkenny or Slough or or you know or um or Bristol with these people, to some extent, I would be at home. You draw fantasy islands. Yes, I do.
0: It seems apposite to ask. Like, um, can you explain fantasy islands?
1: Well so so uh, the the um my the the novel i wrote first um is called of islands and it's a kind of beastery of uh of different fantasy islands um uh written by uh, a kind of uh a visionary metaphysical cartographer called Hieronymus Oquire who who basically wrote this great big tome in the 17th century about islands that haven't been discovered yet but they are islands of the mind and the spirit and um that, that's the basic kind of very rough premise of of my book but i i draw fantasy islands um as a way of actually meditate sort of meditation i i scribble scribble islands and then i join up ferry networks it's all very odd and um uh, uh and i think i like the island because it's something which is actually really rather comforting it's a it's a space with a boundary a very clear boundary and um and it's also a laboratory island communities um i think islands are places where you can experiment as well so they are um they're a nice place for a fertile imagination to go um and i think what's true of the imagination is also true for evolutionary biology i mean if you look at the if you look at island ecosystems and uh, you know you you find freaks on islands you know you find very small things and you find giant large things and you find things that have evolved to only exist on that very small island and i think um islands as uh imaginative endeavors are are the kind of same you can kind of change a few things and then see how it runs on an island and you've got a really strange um and wonderful uh, story to tell. So uh, um, I draw imaginary islands, I write about imaginary islands, and I'm also really interested in the history of cartography and, um, and phantom islands. Um, maybe I should explain uh, phantom islands are islands which appeared on maps in the past but didn't exist. Are these like trap streets? What's that? A trap
0: street is, an, is, a, is a street that a, a map maker will have put on a map Uh, That doesn't really exist in order to catch out uh, potential plagiarists. Is this the same thing?
1: Um, Well, it's, but it was more because, it was more because, um, you know before modern cartograph and before satellites most of you know uh, uh most of your uh uh and air travel most of your um knowledge cartographic knowledge would often come from um sailors and people that were taking making charts and and you know come back and say here we go i've been to the west indies this is what i found and very often um people would get it wrong but and then but a cartographer would add this to a map and then of course someone would copy that map and then it's kind of Um, generational inheritance (laughs) you might say and so um there are even you know there are even islands up to the 18th century which were phantom which didn't exist but were incorrectly or perhaps spuriously added um to maps um one island is um an island called frisland um which is um which is suspiciously close to iceland and appears on a lots of you know makata and altelius's maps um as an as an island just to the south of iceland and now we think it was probably just a a, mis, um, a, a misapplied iceland but it doesn't exist um st brendan's island which is um of the you know the irish um, saint that uh, went west and um apparently um settled on an island and had a, and had a, mo- a, you know, a monastery there all completely fabricated but on european you know, maps of the renaissance you'll find st brendan's island um out in the atlantic and so they are Islands are uh, islands are places that are yeah fundamental human laboratories, and they are places we always uh, we always imagine as um, utopic or dystopic in uh, you know um, and so they're very powerful things for us I think.
0: Oh, that's brilliant! I love that idea. I mean, it's, it's much more than trap streets because trap streets are deliberate, and these are just kind of accidental or or, or
1: mismisassigned m- m- you know, um, or you know uh, or or sometimes people just wanting to you know maybe lie you know I've, I saw this brilliant island and there's gold on it and it's called and it's called Arcadia you know and. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then we um you know but tír Nanog, you know um the land of eternal youth uh you know in celtic um you know mythology we have these um often islands or lands which are which are out there we don't know where they are but they are the wellspring and the uh, and the place of uh of of perfection um they you know they are where we put our our most um our, our greatest hopes and and they're both useless there, but they also can't be damaged because we're n- we're not going to find that island.
0: Lovely, I love that. In this run-up towards um, uh, t- t- towards uh, launch day, and um, obviously there are reviews in, and the reviews have been pretty darn fine. One of the, one of them one of them um, likened you to Flann O'Brien.
1: Yes, I'm. Um, uh... Oh, um, that was, that was lovely. Um, actually, uh, that was Cherry Smith, um, who's an absolutely wonderful, uh, poet, uh, who recently, um, wrote, uh, um, a poetic sequence on the famine, um, called Famished. Um, and it's a brilliant poetic sequence and she, um, she worked it into uh, an actually performance piece with um, a composer and um, and uh, and a singer, and it was touring. I think it went to Australia. It toured around Ireland and around the UK. It was absolutely wonderful. So Cherry's someone I really, really respect, and um, and f- so f- so for her to uh, to compare me to Flann O'Brien, one of my one of my favourite writers, um, was um, was a humbling compliment. I, and um, and I, I had a, a grin from here to here, but of course you can't see my grin because this is radio.
0: Yes, I know, I know, but we we can hear it. Listen, that's the sound. Oh, that was a big one. Day. That was a yeah. That's a, that's a huge grin, a huge grin. Yes, indeed. Um, how does that? I mean, so like, yeah. You, I mean, so I, I suppose you've answered that already with the with a grin from ear to ear. But when somebody writes something like that, you go,
1: "Are comparisons odious? Yeah. Um. I think you know the compare. I think she was probably trying to be nice, wasn't she? And you like someone that tries to be nice. That's that. But also, um. I think there is not not that I'm you know comparing myself in terms of the the influence that I'll have and the quality of my writing, but in terms I think of something which I really I really like about um, Flann O'Brien's writing, which is that Flann O'Brien will look at really quite horrific and horrible things and will not and will take the piss out of them and will laugh at them and will not treat them in a kind of sentimental and maudlin way, um, and I think that's something that is is, the, is actually, it happens in a lot, quite a bit of Irish literature. Um, I remember my favourite Beckett play, Endgame, there's nothing funnier than unhappiness. And in Anna Burns' Milkman, um, a brilliant novel, um, there's there's a phrase which, if I can remember it rightly, it's, um, do not go freshly into that terror, which is which is a kind of an idea that you might suffer awfully, but don't experience it like it's the first time. Don't experience it like, it's something that happens to other people these things will happen to you and you know and that and it's there and you've got to look at it and you've got to in a sense um, acknowledge it also by being maybe not blithe but um comic and it's not stiff upper lip because the comedy can be you know sometimes quite seemingly cruel but it's a way of staring at something more clearly and being able to face it by um you know laughing at the fact that you know someone that's had a stroke can now only say the word mice um and and they can't do anything else apart from say the word mice and they want to say they want to order a cup of tea and all they can say is mice mice and they want to tell their son they love them and all they can say is mice mice um and i i think it's a kind i describe it as a kind of um guy rope that we get to the precipice of of you know all that is awful and comedy can act as a guy rope and we can tilt ourselves further into the precipice without falling into it
0: that's a lovely lovely metaphor but i then wander back and sort of like go well actually so the irish are often accused of sentimentality and uh, a maudlin nature i mean like um, in particular where music's concerned and if you've ever sat through an evening of watching country and irish music um you'll know precisely what i mean it's sort of like a you know, mammy i know I, I never told you i loved you sort of thing uh and, and, and... oh
1: yes there's there's absolutely absolutely that aspect but um uh in, in terms of i guess you know call it you know high, the high modernism uh, you know I, I, irish writing i think there's um uh, or even in something like you know you know father ted you know even you know that, we'll, that we all that we all know and love uh, love very well there's there's a constant kind of like you know these people's lives are awful and shit, and they're not going to change. And isn't that awfully, awfully funny? You know, uh, and um, but that's also the case with I think 80s alternative comedy like Bottom. Um, you know, uh, in some cases like um, uh, you know, uh, um, the young ones. You know, uh, Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson's kind of um shtick is often about people that are miserable. And are desperately, uh, you know, and are, are desperate, and that's not gonna, that's not gonna change anytime soon. So all you can do is um have a chuckle at them.
0: Oh, that's the classic British sitcom, though, isn't it? I mean, it's like Steptoe and Son, or The Likely Lads, or Porridge. Mm. Yeah.
1: So I, I, think there's, there's, um, but you're, you're right. There is, there is certainly, uh, 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 you know, sentimentality in every culture, but um, but I think you know, with you know the things I mentioned there, with Burns and, and, and you know, with Beckett and um, like Flann O'Brien's The Poor Mouth, um, is sort of mocking. You know, people uh, that are d- that are dying of starvation, sleeping with their pigs, and desperately trying to outcompete one another in speaking Gaelic whilst they're starving. Um, it's uproariously funny, but it's a, uh, a but it's also a way of looking at um, at, the, at those at those very difficult and awful and awful things. And um, and if you look at them, I I w- always worry if you look at them in a too maudlin way, then um, then it's almost as if That shouldn't have happened to you um as if awful things don't happen to us at all and those awful things will continue to happen to us i always get really annoyed when you you see a vox pop on the news and someone says oh you don't think that kind of thing would happen around here do you and i think what of course it's going to happen around here it happens everywhere it's going to happen and um yeah uh, maybe i'll just drop in one uh going back to beckett um pinter once said of beckett that every day he rubs my nose in the shit and every day i am grateful and that's the kind of <laughs> mentality that i guess i i really admire
0: brilliant i mean uh, leaving aside noses being rubbed and things like that wherein when you were talking about uh the the, the notion that uh, if you stay a good citizen and work really hard and take your breaks and don't and don't break the rules, you will get your reward. And. And those people that's like, uh, that, that veer off from, veer off from our, our cultural norms and what is expected and what is respected and so forth, well, they're going to get what they deserve. Um, and, and this takes me back round to what's happened here. The, the thing that couldn't happen here, which of course has been COVID, which has been where, where we've all been stuck, which is where we've all either discovered or, or, or left home in, in many ways. It's like, it's either, it's either reaffirmed bonds or it shattered them um, uh, where, where, where families are concerned. Um, but also what we have is this notion that's like, uh, that we're all supposed to do the right thing, despite our, despite, despite our tendencies to sort of like, uh, well, no, I'm a, I'm an autonomous human being. I'm, I'm, I should be allowed to do these bits and pieces. We've got this tension going on at the moment.
1: Yeah. And I think more so now we're in, you call it a post lockdown situation where, I I think there's much more, it's far less clear. I've heard people say that when lockdown was at its height in April, you know, I I felt kind of more secure. And now now we've got options and sort of like, um, you know, uh, sort of we can do things and they're legal, but there's still a shroud of kind of like confusion or worry about what other people might think or whether um, this is just the government, um, you know, making another, you know, terrible mistake. Um, So I, I think we're in uniquely anxious making times but i I think what's interesting for me is that um is that we're in very unheroic times and and you know we we're often told you know adverts always tell us that you know we are unique and we are special and you've got to be unique and you drive this car and you are unique and you wear this lipstick and you are unique and you know the idea that you know we uh, um our lives are all about following our own unique special story and yet now our stories are like so so much like everyone else's and we are so bound by a context that we can't or only have a very small amount of control over i think it's really brought home to um uh, to people, how some of the lies of individualism, I suppose, um, uh, it, it, you know, um, or the extent to which we are not as individual as we, as we are often, um, uh, uh flattered to be.
0: Is that a good or a bad thing?
1: Um, I, th- I, I think, um, I, I, I think it's a good thing. I think acknowledging that we are very, you know, we are m- much more similar to other people than we often we often think and we and you know this idea that we this this star trek idea that we treasure our individuality um and while we are individuals i think i think recognizing our context again and how our context has shaped us is um at least allows us to explain ourselves and potentially um you know become more autonomous but i think that comes um, as a result of kind of knowing a bit more about how how much we are defined by the context that's around us
0: You've been listening to The Plastic Podcasts with me, Doug Devaney and my guest, Craig Jordan-Baker Music by Jack Devaney The Nakulians is published by Epoch Press. Find out more about us by going to the website www.plasticpodcasts.com or you can email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com. Alternatively, find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know how. The Plastic Podcasts are sponsored using public
1: funding by Arts Council England.